Well, once again, welcome. We're so glad you all are here worshiping with us today uh, here at Harvest. And uh, man, two years. Uh, excited for that. And some of you, it's been uh, like three or four years. Some of you who jumped on at the very beginning. And so thankful for all of you and your faithfulness to the Lord uh, here and getting to see him do even more in the days to come. Uh, we really do believe that he has just begun here at Harvest. And so excited to see what's coming in year three. Uh, but right now, I'm excited to jump back into God's Word. So if you've got a Bible, grab that. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you. Uh, you can use that one. We're going to start today in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. That's going to be kind of our anchor verse for today. The whole message is coming out of that one verse, but I'm going to give you a whole lot of other scripture to go along with it, to support it, so that you can see that I'm not just pulling one verse out of the Bible and using it for my own purposes. I want you to see that it's all throughout God's word what we're learning today. That's what we want, right? We don't just like want one little thing we're pulling out of context and applying to something. We want what does God's word say in its totality. And we're going to see that today on this idea of um, gaining it honestly. So last week we started this new financial series called God's Money. And uh, we're taking six or so weeks here to kind of look at what does it mean to have a God-centered perspective about our finances. And last week, we started with the message, view it vertically. And if you missed that message, man, you need to go back and listen to that. Okay, that's like foundational for the whole series. So if you were gone last week or whatever, go online. It's on our website. It's on the podcast. There's all kinds of ways you can get that. Listen to that message. It's going to lay the foundation for the rest of everything we're going to talk about. Um, so this whole idea of seeing it from God's perspective, not from our own perspective, means that God has a perspective, right? Like God has a plan, he has a way that he thinks about money, and he has a way that he wants us to think about money, and so he's trying to teach us that through his word, and um, you could even say that, that God has a whole economy about how he deals with money, and that, that economy, the way he wants his money used, has rules that surround it. And we're going to be looking at some of those rules from God's Word over the next several weeks. Um, but it's, it's, it's important that we have the rules. But sometimes, have you ever been in that situation in your life where you didn't know the rules? Or like they were like the unspoken, unwritten rules, and you weren't sure how that was going to play out, and it, it caught you off guard? Like, it seems like to me when we got married, that exposed more unspoken rules than anything else. Anybody else experience that? Right? Like two wor worlds colliding of all these unspoken rules, and all of a sudden you gotta figure out how you're gonna do this thing and like how you're gonna fold the towels, right? Anybody else have that one go on? Like how do they fit in the closet and how do they have to look on the, on the hanger thing? And so like how the, how the towel's gonna get folded or, you know, like um, what was another one that we did? Oh, who's gonna do the dishes, right? Is it the person who cooks, or is it the person who doesn't cook, or is it always the same person, or is it, and, and how do they fit in the dishwasher the right way so everything gets hit, okay? So there's like all these unspoken, unwritten rules we kind of have to work through, like when is the appropriate time to fill back up the gas tank, right? Is that when it hits half, or a quarter, or like the red light's been on for two days? Like when are we filling this thing back up? Um, one that we had to cross, I don't know if I was had this, we had the, that when's the appropriate time to honk the horn? Right? Like, like I'd be driving, I do most of the driving in our family, so I'm driving along, and something happens that Courtney doesn't like, and she, like, reaches over and, like, starts honking the horn for me, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, when they pull up next to me, they're not going to look at you, right? They're going to look at me, because I'm the one in the driver's seat, and you're all laying on the horn. And so, I don't know if you've had, if you've had to, you know, kind of work your way through some of these unspoken, unwritten rules, but I thought maybe just for all of our benefit, just to deal with one of them today, I found this video on horn honking etiquette. So maybe this will just be helpful for all of us together. So check out this little clip. 
Okay, horn etiquette. A lot of y'all just out here using your horn inappropriately and at the wrong times. Is it in the instruction manual somewhere? I don't know. I'm gonna tell you exactly how and when to use your car horn. First off, the one honk. Just real simple, real short, just like a, hey everybody, I'm here. Like a mom shows up to pick up their son a couple minutes early from soccer practice, like I'm here, but like whenever you're ready. Pizza delivery, Uber driver. Wait, come to think of it, Uber drivers never honk. Weird. One level up from the one short honk is the two short honks. Just hit them with a, that's just like, hey, you're texting at a red light. Hey, there other things are happening around you like, Oh, other people exist. One level up from that is the two medium length honks. Listen to this. Oh, that is serious. That's like the mom waiting in the garage when the kids are trying to get ready for church and we're ready to go. It's like, don't make me get to three honks. You know, that's when it's serious. Like if I'm gonna have to get to church and apologize to Jesus, somebody's gonna be responsible. <laughs> you see that little vein that pops out on my neck when I yell like that? That's the two medium length honks. Okay, next you have three honks and this is when things are starting to get serious. Listen to this. I'm already mad. You see the look in my face? It's just like, oh, something is going down. It's not life-threatening. Like, you don't want to, like, boy who cried wolf it in this type of situation. But somebody is going to be held accountable for their actions. The last and most serious of all car honks is the one short followed by one long. Listen to this. Move! You know what I'm saying? That's the one where like you're trying to draw, now you're trying to draw attention. It's like someone in front of you has chosen to cut off the red light and is blocking all the traffic. It's just like, hey, everybody, look at this person. Like you need to be responsible for your actions. And now if that doesn't work, it's like, okay, you know what, we're doing this. It's that simple, ladies and gentlemen, horn etiquette. I know there's always unique situations. Actually post yours below and I will tell you the exact time and length to use your car horn. Okay, horn etiquette. A lot of you right, are so using your I horn. I know sometimes the unspoken rules can be a little frustrating, right? Instruction manual somewhere? I don't thankfully, know. yeah, you're done. Shut up. Okay. Um, <laughs> thankfully, God doesn't make us do that. God doesn't expect us to figure out the unspoken rules of how we're supposed to do this thing. He gives us explicit teaching from his word. He spells it out, and that's what we're going after today. So here's the first rule of God's economy. This is what we're going to drill down on today. Here it is. Honest, hard work for fair pay ensures God will provide for you and others. Honest, hard work for fair pay ensures that God will provide for you and others. And we're just going to actually just take that sentence and just break it into pieces for each of the points today to show you how each one of those parts of the definition of this rule comes from God's word. So Ephesians chapter 4, 28, here we go. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So the first word we're going to deal with today is honest. That's point number one, honest. Paul starts off here and he says, listen, let the thief no longer steal, but instead do honest work. Right, that's Ephesians 4.28. Now, this isn't new information, right? Like, this isn't like a new revelation God's handing down all of a sudden, right? This is something that God's been talking about from way, way back when. If you go back to the, the Ten Commandments, right, Exodus 20.15, you shall not steal, right? Like, that's pretty basic, pretty clear. God just lays it out. So this isn't something that's like 
a new revelation, but sometimes we need a little bit to dig a little bit deeper on what this exactly means because as we look in God's word, we find out that stealing actually brings out God's righteous anger in some pretty harsh and unique ways. Uh, I don't know if you remember the story of the Israelites in Joshua 7. They've just, they're coming into the promised land. This is God's chosen people. He's bringing them into their promised land finally. And they have to defeat this city, this really this, this, this castle, if you will, called Jericho. And, and they have to march around the thing. And then eventually the walls fall down to show that God did it. And they didn't do it. And it's, everybody celebrates. But God tells them, when, when the fall, walls fall, when I give you the victory, do not take any of the stuff. Do not take any of the spoil, right? Like, leave it there, destroy it, that's, that's mine, I, it's my victory, this is a worship element to me, don't take it. There's always that one guy, right? You know what I'm talking about? There's always that one guy. So Achan is the guy, and he decides, I, I, I'm entitled to a little bit of something, and so he takes a little bit of pilfer from the victory and takes it back and hides it in his tent, and nobody knows, so they go off to the next battle, and because of his disobedience because he stole from God, they lose, the, they lose the next battle. And several people die, and then they have shame brought on the, the nation, and then they finally find out it's Achan, and so he dies. And, and like, it's just this whole big mess because somebody decided that they were going to steal from God. They weren't going to be honest about it. There's a New Testament example where Jesus, um, this is actually interesting because, you know, in the New Testament we have four accounts of Jesus' life, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you read those four accounts, they're from different perspectives. They have different stories. They tell different things about Jesus. Very few stories end up in all four Gospels. But this is one of those stories. So like when it's in all four Gospels, you know there's something important about it, right? So this is where Jesus shows up and he goes into the temple and he sees all these money changers stealing from God's people. And they're using false measures and they're taking advantage and they're, they're basically robbing these people as they're coming to worship God. And he gets all mad and starts flipping over tables and making whips and kicking people out. And like, it just gets crazy, right? Because stealing brings God's anger out. He wants his people to be honest, to do honest work. And I hope you understand today that honesty isn't simply just telling the truth, right? Hopefully, as adults, we've all moved past the, the kindergarten definition of honest, right, to a deeper understanding that's much broader than that. The Bible, when it talks about honesty, talks about it has to do with living your life above reproach in every area, right? It's not just what you say and how you say it or the words. We're talking about honesty as a lifestyle issue, biblically speaking. It's, is my life above reproach in every area? Am I living with honesty, with integrity? And so to help us kind of drill down on this, because it's real easy when you hear honesty, like, oh yeah, I don't lie to anybody, and I, I keep my word, and I'm honest. But there's little ways that it can slip, dishonesty can slip into our lives. And so I'm going to give you here seven forms of dishonest gain, specifically in regard to finances here. Seven forms of dishonest gain all this is from the book of Proverbs, okay? So if you want to kind of follow along, you can flip back to Proverbs real quickly here. We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 10. First form of dishonest gain is this, wicked work. Wicked work. Proverbs 10, 2 says, Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. So wicked work is 
wicked or his work that is based in sin. It's based in wickedness, all right? The, the way that you're making money, the way that you're going about this work is all dependent on some sinful act or sinful idea or sinful product or whatever that might look like. What are some examples today? Uh, one of the, the most egregious that I could think of today would be, um, would be selling people. Okay, you're like, I thought slavery was gone. Yeah, no. Different forms maybe, but there are still people in the United States that are sold in various ways and trafficked. That's wicked work, making money off of sin. Well, maybe a step down from that would be st- uh, selling stolen goods, whether that's through a pawn shop or that's through some type of other fence, but stealing, th- taking goods that you know are stolen and selling them for a profit. Okay, maybe another step. How about selling gossip? tabloids, blogs, fake news sites, that all they want to do is get the headline and get the eyeballs and make the money and they'll make up anything they have to and spin it any way they want to try to make money off of it. It's sinful. It's wicked work. Selling false hope products. All you need is this one pill and it'll cure everything you've got or it'll make you lose all the weight or do it. And they know that it's not going to do that and even if it does it, it's not going to last. And you're selling a lie. Wicked work. Next form of dishonest gain. False measures. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. False measures, false measures is when we, we misrepresent the value of something. Okay? This was what Jesus was so upset about in the temple with the money changers. Right? They were exchanging money and, and helping people buy things at an unjust rate. They were giving them a false uh, measure on their return. Where are some examples of this today? If you're a contractor, if you do work on contract basis, are you overbilling for hours? Are you saying you worked more hours than you did? That's unjust measures or false measures. If you, maybe you're just a regular employee at a, at a company or business. Are you clocking in and out honestly? Are you having somebody clock you in early? Are you having somebody clock you out late? Are you not living up to the time card? That's false measures. When you're at work, are you misusing work time? Are you making personal phone calls? Are you scrolling Facebook? Are you working the hours that you're getting paid to work? Maybe it's skimping on product. Maybe it's you're selling goods and you don't give as much as they're supposed to get for the price they're paying. False measures. Here's one that is going to hit all of us at this time of the year in America. How about misreporting on your taxes? Are you claiming all the income you made this year? Are you taking some in cash so that you don't have to pay taxes on it? When you claim your deductions, are you taking more deductions or false deductions to get out of paying taxes? And I've heard all the arguments, well, Micah, you know, they... That government, they're always wasting money and they misuse it and it's not their money anyways, it's our money and they take too much and fine, you can make whatever arguments you want. But Jesus says in Matthew 20, 21, 22, 21, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And when we don't, it's false measures. Number three, fast wealth. Proverbs 13, 11 says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Fast wealth is oftentimes called today get-rich-quick schemes, right? 
that if you, if you just put in a little right now at the right time, and it's going to multiply, and you'll have all this money, and you always hear that, that phrase of, you know, big risk equals big reward, but oftentimes it also leads to big ruin in the end, right? Have you ever seen the research on lottery winners? Lottery winners are more likely to declare bankruptcy within three to five years than the average American. After they win that millions of dollars, they're more likely, not less likely, to declare bankruptcy in three to five years than the average American who didn't win anything. 70% of lottery winners end up going bankrupt. Why is that? It's because they don't know how to be honest about the situation. They don't know how to be honest about where the money came from and how you got it and how long it's going to last, and they just spend, 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 and pretty much it's gone. And maybe you've never had that. I know I've never won the lottery. If you've won the lottery in here, we, maybe we need to talk because we want to build a building at some point. But um, maybe you've never won the lottery thing, but maybe you've had this in a smaller dose, like you've got a huge tax return or you've got a nice big bonus at work that you weren't expecting. You have this, this influx of cash. And instead of, you know, paying off your debt or instead of putting it into savings or investing it with your investments, you buy this and you buy that and all of a sudden, boom, the money's gone. You're like, where did that go? We just got like 5,000 extra dollars. What happened to that money? It's because when it comes fast, oftentimes it leaves fast. Pyramid schemes, too good to be true investments. Oftentimes, the reason these things work in the short term is because you're making money at the expense of other people. And God doesn't honor that. Next form of dishonest, dishonest gain uh, would be unjust gain. Look at Proverbs 15, 27. It says, whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. What is unjust gain? This is when you benefit by stealing give you an example. Back when I was in college, uh, there, uh, this girl I was seeing, we went to the mall, we were going to buy some new duds for homecoming that was coming up, and I was getting a new shirt and, some new tie, and a new tie and stuff. And we go in, I find my stuff, I go to check out, we check out, I'm walking out, I'm like, man, that seems like it was kind of cheap. And I pull up the receipt, and they forgot to charge me for the tie. And we're walking down the hall at the mallway, and I'm like, sweet, free tie, right? You snooze, you lose. Like, that was kind of my mentality. And she was like, no, you got to go back and pay for that. And she was right. If I would have kept that, that would have been unjust gain. I would have been stealing. I would have been profiting by stealing from them. When you are in a store and you come, you, you're going in to buy that new pair of jeans that you've been waiting to get, and you know how much they're supposed to be, and you look, and they've mismarked it on the counter or on the sign, and it's supposed to be $50 and it's $5 or 50 cents, what do you do? Do you grab them up and run to the register and like, hey, it's on the sign, you gotta give it to me, 50 cents for a pair of jeans, really? Or you say, hey, I think you might probably marked that wrong, you might wanna check that, can you tell me the real price on these? Or do we take advantage of their mistake and basically steal from them? There was a couple years ago, I remember, there was one of the big stores, I think it might've been Walgreens, printed some sale ad and they misprinted the ad and it was like something that was supposed to be $20 was like $2 or 20 cents or something crazy like that. And I remember seeing people post it all over Facebook, Christians saying, oh, look at this ad. They've got to honor it. Run out and buy this and get this. And I'm like, seriously? That's how we're going to do it? 
I had a friend in college, he was getting married and his dad was gonna buy him a new truck. And he went to the dealership and he picked out the truck and he was all ready to go. And the dealership was doing this giveaway that if you bought a vehicle in this certain time frame, you get put in a hat and they draw out a name and somebody was gonna win a trip for two people. And he wanted, his, he wanted his son to have a trip for his honeymoon for his thing. And he said, all right, I'll buy the truck if you guarantee that I win the trip. And he pressed him until they did it. Really? You're gonna game the system like that? Is that really worth it? Unjust game. Next one, taking and giving bribes. Proverbs 17, 23, the wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. A bribe is any time you take a payoff to be dishonest. Right? And we don't call them bribes in America because we don't like that word and we frown upon bribes and we're more sophisticated than that. So we call them other things like gifts or kickbacks or perks. Right? And if I vote this certain way, then I'll get this influx of money into my campaign. Or if I uh, promote so-and-so over this person, then I'll get to use their condo next summer. Right? Or if I give the contract to this company instead of that company, I know that I'm going to get discounts at this or that. That's all bribes. You can label it whatever you want. You can spin it however you want. If you're making a dishonest decision in order to profit from it, it's a bribe. Taking the raise at work to look the other way and not report the illegal or immoral things that are happening in your company taking the severance package to leave quietly instead of exposing whatever's going on and saying, no, this isn't right. Dishonest game. It's all bribes. Next, crooked speech. Proverbs 19.1. Better is a person, uh, a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Crooked speech is when we lie or manipulate to make the sale or cut the deal. Right? If you're in sales, think about what you're doing. Are you over-promising, knowing that you can't deliver, but if I promise them this, then they'll say yes, and they'll sign on the dotted line, and I can walk away. Are you embellishing the product to make it look more appealing than it really is? Are you hiding the problems or the defects until after the sale so you can get the commission? Maybe you're not in sales. Maybe you work a different type of job. Maybe at your work, you've been asked to go back and rewrite history to cover something up for you or someone else. You know, can you just go back and change that report and change this number or change that wording so that so-and-so doesn't get in trouble or so we don't get a problem over here? It's crooked speech. It's dishonest. The last one is oppressing the poor. Proverbs 22:16. whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. This is any time that you're taking advantage of others. Payday loans, no credit check loans that get you the influx of cash, but it charge you an exorbitant amount of interest. Taking advantage of the fact that you don't have the money to get to the next paycheck, and so they're going to make their money off of your loss. Overpriced rent, knowing that you, because you know they can't afford to actually go buy a house, so we can charge them whatever we want on the rent. Paying someone a lower wage because you know they don't have any other options to get jobs anywhere else, and so they just have to put up with getting paid little to nothing. The wage disparity in most companies in our country 
is a disgrace. CEOs and presidents making hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars when you've got frontline workers that aren't even getting minimum wage. That's oppressing the poor. It's taking advantage. It's dishonest. So through that lens, and I could go on, but these are seven examples from God's word of dishonest gain. Maybe you thought, man, I'm doing good on the honesty thing. Do you have any of these that trigger something for you? Do you have any of these seven that you're like, oh, yeah, that's something I need to deal with in my life? That's something I need to deal with at my company or my job? The question is this, how honest is your earning? How honest is your earning? God wants us to be honest. He wants us to be people of integrity, above reproach. So honest is the first point. Second point, second part of the sentence, hard work, right? Honest, hard work. In Ephesians 4.28, going back to our anchor verse, it says, let him labor, let him work with his own hands, right? Some, some people think that we only have to work because of the fall, like the pre-sin, pre-the fall, you know, it was all just sitting around and eating bonbons, you know, on the beach or whatever, I don't know. Like, but there's always been work. When you go back and you read prior to Genesis 3, Adam was already working, right? Adam made, or God made everything, he made Adam say, hey, go name the animals, you know, take care of the animals, you're overseeing this. Like, he was already assigned work. Work is part of life. What makes work hard is sin. That's where the sin part comes in. When Adam sinned, it says this in Genesis 3:17. And, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And he goes on to describe in more detail what that hard work is going to look like and what that's going to mean for us. So yeah, work is hard. Okay? For all of you who've ever felt that and said that or were out shoveling snow yesterday and your back's hurting today, like this guy up here, like, yes, work is hard. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't call us still to do it. He still tells us to work and to work hard. Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11, check this. He says, go to the ant, O sluggard, Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. He's like, when you think about work, think about the ants, right? Not like the ants, like when you were a kid, you just like step on them and you know, like fry them with a magnifying glass. But like, think about how they normally function in life, right? They're not just like chilling on the side of the anthill, getting some sun, right? Like they're not just hanging out in the grass, having a little picnic. They are working, like all the time working, carrying loads bigger than them most of the time. And they're going after it and they're preparing and they're working hard. God says work like that. Work Hard. That's the clear teaching over and over and over again in Scripture. Proverbs 10, 3 through 5, Proverbs 12, 27, Proverbs 15, 4, all call us to work hard. Okay, that's all great, Micah, but that's Old Testament. You know, we're, we're the new church now, New Testament. Give me some New Testament stuff. Okay, great, I got you. Here you go. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 10. This is Paul speaking. He says, but we were gentle among you, 
like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So Paul here, he's talking as a pastor, he's talking as a, a shepherd of these people, saying, listen, I love you, I care for you, I worked hard for you because I want the best for you, I want to serve you, and the best way I can serve you is to share with you the gospel. That is the best and hardest work that we can do as Christians is to share the gospel with those who are dying without it. If you're here today and you don't know what I'm talking about when I say the gospel, maybe this is a new word for you, maybe this is new territory for you, that's totally fine, we're super glad you're here. Let me just kind of spell it out for a second. We all, if we're being honest today, I think can look at our lives and say that we are sinful and broken and desperately in need of help type of people, myself included. And God knew that, and he saw that, and he said, you know what, I'm going to help. And so he sent his son, his own son, Jesus, to come and to be born. We just celebrate that at Christmas. To be born a human, to live a perfect, sinless life, and then to go to the cross willingly and die a sinner's death. Not for his sin. He didn't have any. He went to be a substitute for you and me to die for our sin, to take our place in, in the punishment and the wrath and the debt that we owed because of our sin. And he went into the grave, and three days later he rose back to life to prove he was God. And what he said was true, and he was ready to come now and to forgive all of our sin if we will believe in him. If we will lay down our pride and lay down our lives and say, you know what, I'm a wreck. God, please come help me, save me, make me your own. He says, done. In that moment, done. And he comes and he works with us and he loves us and he gives us grace and he gets us back on track with the Lord. And if you've never done that, if you've never made that decision, man, do that now. Like, don't wait any longer. I was just having a great conversation with somebody right before our services who's been coming here for a while and accepted Jesus here not too long ago. And they're like, man, this has changed my life, right? Everything is different. I see things different. I'm, I'm, I'm making different decisions. I'm, it all changes because Jesus saves. And Paul says, listen, that's what I gave you. That's the most important thing. But he does go on. He says in verse nine, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. So he's like, listen, you don't need to look any further. Just look at my example. I worked hard among you. I labored. I toiled, right? And, and we should do that as people of God. That's the way we should work. As pastors, as shepherds, as staff of a church, we should be working hard. And I can tell you that we do. Me, Nathaniel, our elders, we work hard. You can ask anybody who comes around during the week and sees us in the office and sees what we're working on and works with us on stuff. We work hard because this is the most important thing. That we are serving the Lord and we are spreading the gospel and we are seeing him work and move in our midst. But it's not just us. 
all of our church leaders work hard, man. Uh, if you knew the amount of work that our church leaders do throughout the week and all the stuff they prepare so we can just do this on Sunday, it is just astronomical, right? Our volunteers work hard. We have a crew that gets here at seven o'clock every Sunday morning to pull everything out of a trailer and set it all up so we can have church, so we can come and be in the presence of God. In fact, we had a little extra struggle with that this weekend uh, due to the snow. So I just want you to check out this little video of our guys, our facilities team, out getting our trailer out of the storage. Check this. But two trucks pulling the trailer out of the snow and up the hill. That's after they just got done shoveling paths so the tires could get enough traction to get it up the hill, right? Why? Because we love Jesus. Because we're called to this. And we're going to work hard to make sure it gets done. That's what Paul is talking about here. In his second letter to Thessalonians, he talks about it again. Look at this, chapter 3, verse 6. He says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Paul says, listen, I command you, don't be idle. And don't hang around with people that are idle, right? Like, get in there and work hard. Do what you have to do to pay for yourself, right? Do your part to add into it and serve the Lord and serve his people and follow my example, Paul says. And then he caps it off with this statement. If you don't work, you don't eat. All right, like that's pretty clear, isn't it? Right, like that's pretty like straight to the point. Like let's just sit, call it how it is. Paul's drilling down here on work ethic, which is a big deal, right? I've been having this conversation a lot with our daughters lately because, you know, we're at the house and everything's going great and everybody's playing and having a good time. And then we're like, all right, it's time to clean up. And all of a sudden, magically, all their limbs become like unusable, right? Like all of a sudden, like nothing can get picked up and I'm tired and it's too hard and, and, and I don't feel good. And I'm like, no, you're just being lazy, right? And we don't do that here. We're, we're mathesis and we work hard. And I, I, I hear this speech like in my head. I gotta say this like every time. Like we work hard and we persevere until the job is done and we don't quit and we're not lazy and you're going to do this, right? Nobody wants to hire a lazy person, right? Nobody wants the lazy person on the team. Nobody wants to marry a lazy person, right? <laughs> they, they tend to get the marriage thing more right now than the work thing. So just like, this is what we need to do. You need to learn this work ethic. Like next step, all right, this one, I'm just so tired of saying, like next step is, all right, don't work, don't eat. You know, like that's the next thing we're going to. Like, no, I'm just joking, don't call the hotline or anything, okay? We're gonna feed the kids. But like, listen, this is, this is a big deal and Paul hits it hard. And you need to think about this for yourself. What about you? What's your work ethic? Where did you get it from? Where did you learn that? What was the source of where you learned how to work and work hard? And did that source line itself up with, would that be your mom or dad or whoever, did it line itself up with God's word? I was very blessed to have two, both my parents work very hard and I learned a strong worth, worth ethic from them. Sometimes they work too hard 
and too long. I have to watch myself on that too at times because you can be wrong on that side as well. But Paul says, listen, I'm giving you an example. You need to work hard. And if your example that you learned work ethic from didn't line up with what God's word says, then it's time to get a new source. Okay? And this is it right here. Paul can be your source. Learn to work hard. So the question here is how hard do you work? How hard do you work? Honest, hard work, point number three, for fair pay. For fair pay. In Ephesians 4.28, he says, work hard so that you may have something, right? So that you may earn something, that you can get paid for your work. Hard work deserves fair pay. This is repeated all throughout the Bible, right? Deuteronomy 25.4, Matthew 10.10, Luke 10.7. That's Jesus talking in both of those. And then in 1 Timothy 5, Paul says it like this. Let the elders who rule be uh, well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. He's just explaining the first part, right? This is what it means. This is what I'm talking about. Fair work deserves fair pay. So how do I get that, Micah? How do I earn fair pay? Well, Paul helps us again, 2 Timothy 2.6. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. It's like, listen, if you work hard, then you get paid. <laughs> you, that's the way things work. Like, that's the, way you get, that's the way you get it. So here's three things for fair compensation. Right? Whether you're a boss or an employee, you need to be thinking about these three things when you think about fair compensation, fair pay for a job. Fair compensation is based on um, capability, capacity, and commitment. Capability, which means your ability to do something plus quality of doing it well. Okay? So capability is ability plus the quality of actually doing it well. Number two is capacity. Capacity is a matter of volume, how much work can you do, and impact. The work that you're doing, how much value is it actually bringing to the company or to whoever you're working for. So capability, capacity, and commitment. Commitment is great. You can do these things, but are you doing these things, right? Commitment is the difference between can and do. Some people have all the ability in the world, but they're not willing to apply themselves to actually do the work because they're not committed to it. They're not committed to the cause or the company or whoever it is they're working for. You want fair pay? Nail these three things. Capability, capacity, commitment. You don't get fair pay, you don't get good pay by bloated contracts and padded hours and unreasonable bargaining and doing the minimum amount of work and asking for the maximum amount of pay. That's not the way it works. God doesn't honor that. And if you're doing that, or you have somebody doing that for you, either an individual or an organization, who's trying to get extra pay for less work, you need to get out of that. Because you might get it in the short term, but God's not going to honor that. So, okay, Micah, that's great, but what if I am doing all those things, I'm working hard, and I'm still not getting fair pay, right? You work for a church, that's great, they're going to pay you according to the Bible, that's good for you, but no, there are some, like, not good employers out there that are kind of shady and try to rip you off. Okay, granted, I agree. Here's what the Bible says about that. Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do, 
in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you're at a job and you're not getting fair pay for hard work, the Bible says, keep working hard. Keep at it, don't stop, because you work for the Lord before you work for anyone else. And if you work hard and honor the Lord in whatever position you have, he will open up a door and he will provide exactly what you need. So keep working, work unto the Lord and trust him to care for you. Don't try to handle it yourself. I found this really interesting. This never stuck out to me until I was studying this week. In Luke chapter 3, some guys are coming to John the Baptist, asking him a whole bunch of questions. He's like, what do, you know, we're gonna, we want to follow God more. Like, what do we do? And they, they're asking all these questions about how to follow God. And here's what John the Baptist says to these disciples. He says, it says, and the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with the one who has none, and whoever has food to do likewise. So if you got extra, give it to somebody who doesn't have extra. All right, like give it to somebody who's in need. Like that's just pretty common sense. We're going to talk more about giving in a different sermon. But he goes on in verse 12. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, which that, to the Jews, that automatically sounds like an oxymoron, right? Like tax collectors getting baptized, right? Because like the tax collectors were like super shady guys and they were always stealing from people. They were taking more money than they were supposed to for the taxes and skimming off the top and making themselves rich. So these guys come to John and say, hey, what do we need to do to follow God? What do we need to do to be baptized? And he says, uh, collect no more than you are authorized to do. He's like, it's simple. Stop stealing, Stop taking people's money, right? Just take what you're supposed to take and, and that be enough. Then verse 14, the soldiers also asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations. And here's the real key, be content with your wages. Be content with what God provides for you in whatever job he's given you. Don't try to get it for yourself. Don't steal, don't extort, don't take advantage of anybody. Just be satisfied with what God's giving you and work hard for him. One of the first jobs I ever had, I got my license, I was 16, and I needed to make some money to pay for insurance and gas and all kind of stuff. And so I got a job at the local Taco Bell in the kitchen. Um, I was going to show you a picture of me in the whole get up, um, but I figured I would save you that. Okay, so so I'm working at Taco Bell. But the, a, a neighbor of ours was a friend, and they, she was like the manager there. She got me a job. It was a good job. I was making you know, decent money, working hard, and I was working a lot in the evenings. And so the assistant manager in the evenings started saying, hey, I'm going to train you for you know, manager stuff. So she started training me on all these different tasks to do you know, kind of manager stuff and kind of get me ready for that next thing. But pretty soon, it stopped being training, and I was just doing her job. Right? Like I was just doing all her stuff and she wasn't doing it and I'm still getting the pay like everybody else of the little guy and I'm not getting, so I go to, the, I go to the, the, the head manager, this lady that we were friends with, I said, hey, this is what's happening, just want you, know, want you to know, like, you know, whatever, can we correct this? And she's like, yeah, I'll look into it and then nothing happened. And I'll be honest with you, it was hard to keep working hard for them when you feel like it's unjust and it's not fair and you're being taken advantage of. That's hard, right? But, I didn't start stealing food, all right? I didn't start stealing money from the cash register. I didn't start giving food away free to other people or sabotaging the products or doing whatever else you might do to try to get back at somebody for being unfair. I worked as hard as I could and I started praying and looking for other opportunities 
And pretty soon, God opened up a position for me at a golf course in the area, which was way better than fast food, and they paid me better, and I was just like, thank you, Lord. Right? And I know some of you are sitting there going, yeah, Michael, that's great, but that's like a high school job. That's not that big of a deal. That's a small-scale thing, and you're right, it was. You're like, I have to provide for my family. I have a lot more on my plate. I have a lot more that I have to bring in the bacon for, and, but the principle of the Lord stands the same. And when you can do it in the small, you can do it in the big. He says, work hard and trust me with the rest. So if you're in a situation right now where you're getting unfair pay from your employer, here's the three things. Work hard, pray hard, trust hard. Keep working hard, keep praying to the Lord and saying, God, you gotta help me out here, you gotta fix this. And then open your eyes up and trust that the Lord is gonna bring you something better, either at that job or at a different one. And he will, he will provide. So the question is this, are you being fair about what you earn and pay? So whether you're an employee or a boss or whatever, are you being fair about what you're earning from your employer? And if you're in the top spot, are you being fair about what you're paying other people who are working for you? Be fair in what you, are you being fair in what you earn and pay? So honest, hard work for fair pay. Let's get to the last thing here and land this, ensures God will provide for you and others. Point number four, ensures that God will provide for you and others. In that Ephesians chapter four, verse 28, he says, work hard so that you have something to share. Right? This is so cool. So God promises to provide for those who put him first and follow his ways and follow what, his, what the word says for us to do when it comes to work. In Luke chapter 12, 22, it says this. Jesus talking, he says, and he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Verse 30, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. Everybody wants that. And your father knows that you need them, right? This isn't lost on us. We know what you need. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Don't worry about what you need. Don't worry about your food and your house and your clothes. Like just seek after me work hard, follow after me, and I will provide everything you need. That is an awesome promise from the Lord. And if you're a follower of Christ, you need to stand on that in the good days and in the bad days. Galatians 6, Paul says this, verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those of the household of faith. I love how Paul starts that, man. He's just like straight to the point. Do not be deceived, right? God is not mocked. God has an economy, he has some rules, and if you're not on that, it's not gonna go good for you. And don't think you're gonna skirt it, and don't think that there's gonna be some extra clause in there for you, this is what it is. He says, here's one of the rules. What you sow is what you reap. If you sow now, if you do good now, you will reap help later. And he says it here, very interesting, he says, as we have opportunity. See, Paul understands the same thing that we understand that all of us have good days and bad days. We have good seasons financially and we have hard seasons financially. We all go through that. 
And Paul says, when you're in a good season, when you have the opportunity, make sure that you're sowing. Make sure that you're giving. Making sure that you're, you're doing your part to support. He says, especially here, the household of faith, the church, is what he's talking about there. That you're giving in when things are good so that when things go bad later, because they eventually will, that the church has what it needs to turn around and help you as well. When we come to church, are we coming here for us or for the Lord? We call ourselves a vertical church. We're here for him first and foremost, to serve him, to give to him, to, to be a part of, of leading his church forward for the kingdom. We shouldn't try to benefit first. We should try to give and serve first, and then the benefit comes later as God shows need in our life. And that's a lot of times the way God does provide for his people it's through the church when there is need. But first, we have to be doing our part of sowing in. In Acts 20, Paul hits this last part. of We don't just work hard for us. We don't just work hard for the Lord. We work hard for others as well. Verse 33 said, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, here we go, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Work hard so God will provide for you so that you can help provide for others. That's what Paul's saying here. It's not just about what I need. It's about God using me to then provide for others as well. We need to give what we receive. Okay. That's a whole other sermon. We're doing a whole sermon on giving in a couple of weeks. I'm not going to get into all that right now. But this is the channel. And I, and I tell you, friends, Cordy and I can testify to this personally. We have seen this over and over and over again in our lives. Right. I remember when God first called us into full-time ministry. We were both working good, full-time paying jobs, and we we're going to be going to this church to start serving, and we we're going to go from two incomes to one income, which was going to be less than half of what we were making before. We were going to have two house payments, one in St. Louis that hadn't sold yet, and then the one in Indiana where we had to live. We had our first baby on the way. We we're going to have all that stuff, costs coming. We had a new health insurance that was less helpful than our old health insurance. So we're going to have increased health care costs. And over that six months to a year, year and a half, <laughs> things were tight, but we never did without. God provided every single thing that we needed. When we got ready to do Ava's adoption, God, we knew God was calling us to adoption. We started looking at all the options, and it was going to be thousands and thousands of dollars to do this. And we didn't have it. But we knew God was calling us to this, and so we started working hard. We started saving. We started doing fundraising, we started doing whatever we could do to just be faithful to the Lord, trusting that he was going to provide what we needed to make this work. And in the end, he provided every penny. As we got ready to come plant a church, here we are, moving back to St. Louis, Courtney and I, nobody else on board yet, no idea where God's going to provide income for our family of five long term. But we knew God was calling us to this, so we stepped out, we worked hard, we did what we could, we were faithful as we could be, and God provided. He provided through many of you. 
who were here in those earliest days working hard at your job so you could get enough income to then sow into a work that God was doing here and provide for our family in the early days as we were getting things started. This is how God's economy works. Are you sowing enough to ensure trust that God will bring harvest? One of these days, you're going to need a harvest. You're going to need some help. You're going to need God to provide for you. When you're in the good seasons, are you sowing enough in to ensure that God's going to be able to do that for you when it comes time to reap? That's part of working hard. Honest, hard work for fair pay ensures that God will provide for us and others. This is the first law in God's economy. Like, you've got to get on this before you can get to anything else. If you want to succeed with God financially, start here. Earn it honestly. If you do that, he will always provide for you, and he will use you to provide for others as well. So today I want to just end like this. Here in a second, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song of response to the Lord. This sermon is not meant to be a beatdown. I'm not trying to guilt you into anything here today. I'm trying to open your eyes to the reality of how God does things so that you can joyfully and willfully bring yourself under the promise of God that he will provide everything you need if you do it his way. This is for your good because he loves you. And if you can gain it, Honestly, he will give you everything you need. So why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing a song of response and thank God for the promises that he's given us today in his word. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We thank you, God, so much for your presence with us, Lord. Today, we have just been celebrating and excited about all you've been doing over the last couple of years in our church. We're excited about what you're going to do in the years ahead. But right now, Lord, we want to just draw our hearts down and just submit ourselves to your Holy Spirit and just listen, Lord, to what you have for us today. Lord, you've given us such clear instruction and clear direction on how we should use your money in our lives. Our desire is to follow you and to honor you in all things, God. Help us. Help us to check our hearts and align our lives with the call for honest, hard work. Thank you for your promise, for your promise of provision for all those who will follow your word in this area. We're resting in that, we're trusting in that today, in your grace and in your goodness to us. Thank you for your promises. I pray all this in the name of Jesus.